a group of men are walking along a narrow, dusty road. High hills on their right, a great sparkling sea to their left. The day is warm for walking in these shadowless stretches. They are all visibly perspiring. They are long in the middle of a back-and-forth conversation as they walk along. Let's imagine for a moment what they've been talking about. But the people will not be free until we free ourselves from Rome, one says. But how? Another interjects. You're always going on about Rome, and look at us. We are simple people. Simple, Simon. We do not have the means or the might to cast off Rome. But the original speaker, a zealot, is silently gesturing to the man to their right, Jesus from Nazareth. And the other now understands his meaning. He shall be our anointed, our conqueror king. The group continues walking along in silence. After a time, that man, Jesus, speaks up. But what do you think it means to be free, he asks. Everyone thinks before offering up an answer. The other Simon, Simon Peter, speaks first. The chance to make your decisions for yourself, he says, or for a people to make their decisions for themselves. To be happy, to be healthy, says another. To wake in the morning and have the run of the day, says a third. Two or three of the others then offer up similarly commonplace kinds of responses to the question, and then they walk along another half mile or so in silence. They are all waiting upon the next words of Jesus. Freedom, he finally says, has never been tasted by any but the first man, the first woman. They alone knew the secret of the truly free. To be free is to know the Father and to be known by Him. To be set free is to know the Father and to be known by Him. Man's only bondage is sin, nothing else. Everyone ponders the import of his words. Well, my friends, thank you for joining me for the opening of Mark chapter 2. And as I've just shown you, we are taking this literary approach, sort of imagined encounter approach to the entirety of the book of Mark. And so, yes, what I've just given you is an imagined account of perhaps what it was like to walk along a road and, and strike up a conversation into which Jesus then threw ultimate truth. But I was thinking about that this week as I thought about this narrative we're about to explore. So with those words, again, from me in mind, we're going to be jumping into Mark 2, verses 1 through 13. So here we go. When he re-entered Capernaum some days later, a rumor spread that he was in somebody's house. He and his disciples had arrived the night before by nightfall. They stayed, of course, at the house of Simon Peter and his wife and mother-in-law, and exhausted with the journey, they'd all turned in for the night. The next morning, one of his disciples had ventured down to the market and been recognized by a relative of someone the teacher had healed. Is he back? This man asked. The disciple nodded. 
That man ran home to tell his wife, mother, and children. They, in turn, told the next-door neighbors on both sides and back of them. And the children went to school and told everyone they encountered. Those people told all the others, all of Capernaum, everyone. Back at the house, as the day had dawned, lovely in the way the Galilee is lovely in the dawn light, the orangish glow spreading down the western hilltops, the grass and wildflowers tossing in the sea breeze, the air cool and crisp and quickly warming toward full heat, the household had awoken lazily. Some of the disciples were sleeping in. Jesus was in the main room having a chat to Peter's mother-in-law as she prepared breakfast. A few friends were streaming in, having heard in town that Jesus was here. Eventually, they were all seated at table in the main room. Jesus gave thanks. Everyone began to eat. As they ate, they talked casually. They passed the dishes around and everyone was enjoying each other. More visitors from town began to arrive. At first, they would take up extra seats and stools around the table. Once those were gone, they either leaned against the walls or sat on the floor. Simon Peter's wife leaned closer to Jesus. Would you tell that story you were telling me earlier? She asked. Jesus smiled, nodded. Others were still filtering in as he began to speak. He began telling a simple, lovely story. Such a large crowd collected that while he was giving them his message, it was impossible even to get near the doorway. The floor of the room was now covered wall to wall by packed-in sitters. All four walls of the room were lined by shoulder-to-shoulder standing leaners. Each window had a minimum of of at least three sill-sitters. Others leaned over the tops of their heads from the outside. Meanwhile, north of town, two pairs of friends, locals, all of them, had just arrived at the door of a lean-to sort of structure that they themselves had built. They had built it for their friend, a man named Solomon, who, years earlier had been paralyzed in an accident up in the hill country. They walked right into his hut without knocking. Good morning, one of them shouted almost irritatingly loudly. The paralyzed man looked up. Good morning, he said flatly. The four began to dress their friend, carefully moving him, jostling him as little as was possible, all while he wondered what in the world it was all about. He waited until they were finished. Well, what's this about? He asked. Oh, you'll see, they answered. They picked up his pallet and carefully carried him out into the morning sunlight. Up the hill, this group of people arrived to see Jesus bringing with them a paralytic whom four of them were carrying. They were hot and tired with the walk up. They walked along the trail toward the house in the now rapidly warming heat. Their hearts sank as they drew closer. 
The crowds inside the house were obvious just from the overflow. Men, women, and children stood outside the house, rank upon rank, and they all leaned in toward the doors and windows. People further back kept saying, what did he say? And the people toward the window or door would try to quickly catch them up, but then they themselves would have missed what he had said next. The four friends and the paralyzed man approach. Excuse me, one of them whispers at the fringe nearest the door. A group of men look back, annoyed. They don't want to miss a word from inside, even if the man on the pallet has a need seemingly higher than theirs. Won't the teacher eventually come back out? The four men carry their pallet toward the biggest of the windows. They try to wedge their way through the leaners-in and the sill-sitters. Most of the same kind of reactions occur. Out of the corner of his eye, one of them then notices a ladder, some lengths of rope, lying over there in the side yard. So, having found it was impossible to get near him because of the crowd, they did the most obvious thing which presented itself. They removed the tiles from the roof over Jesus' head and let down the paralytic's bed through the opening. Which, experienced from the vantage and hearing point of those inside the house, went something like this. Jesus was explaining the meaning of his third parable of the morning. A woman then asked a question. He took a drink of water Considering what it is that he would like to say, when everyone heard the same, boom, they all as one looked upward. Then there was the sound of, of footsteps muffled by the combination of thatch, grout, and some baked tile, but it was unmistakable. Somebody, or a group of somebodies, was presently walking across the roof of the house. Peter looked at his wife and mother-in-law. They were already looking over at him. Jesus and everyone was silent, listening. A faint mist of dust began to fall from the inside ceiling. Suddenly, a chunk of plaster dropped. Then fingertips of eight hands could be seen clawing through. Showers of dust, thatch, cracked tiles started dropping. The whole crowd was on its feet now scooting back, edging its way toward the four walls, making room for whatever was about to happen. When all at once, a paralyzed man was sailing downward on a pallet, let down by four men above. He landed on the floor and looked up, smiling sheepishly at the man standing in the center of the whole crowd in this overfull house. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four, now peering down through the hole in the roof, four friends of a friend whom they were believing for and taking demonstrable steps of faith on behalf of, he said to the man on the bed, my son, your sins are forgiven. And absolutely nothing at least in terms of the crowd's ability to see anything happening, happened. The man continued to lie there at Jesus' feet on his pallet. The whole crowd waited on. 
except for the man lying on the pallet, the, in his mind, victim of the absurdity of human circumstance, a man whose every day had been pre-limited by the brokenness of his physical body, a person, perhaps like every single person who's ever lived, who had decided the limits of God based upon his own experience, his own hurts, his own unique sinfulnesses, and yet commonplace sin, that man was suddenly free. His whole inner life was washed through by the Spirit of Jesus. And he knew it. But some of the scribes who had made their way from Jerusalem because of the rumors of this Jesus were sitting there silently asking themselves, why does this man talk such blasphemy? Who can possibly forgive sins but God? Which, and not to change too jarringly from the descriptive to the philosophic perspective and yet yes, to decidedly make that change, is a near-perfect example of a shared, whispered, unintentional form of a tautology. Who can possibly forgive sins but God? In other words, only God can possibly forgive sins. In other words, if the man standing before these men, these arbiters of the nation's spiritual life, can show his power over human life and circumstances... Might he not be God? Jesus realized instantly what they were thinking, an important consideration toward our last consideration, and said to them, Why must you argue like this in your minds? Which do you suppose is easier? To say to a paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your bed, and walk. But to prove to you that the Son of Man has full authority to forgive sins on earth, I say to you, and here he spoke to the paralytic, still lying there, beaming glowingly with the entire interior change he's only just internally experienced, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. At once, the man sprang to his feet, Having just as suddenly felt the empowerment of his legs as his soul and picked up his bed and walked off in full view of them all. The men, women, and children packed in a ring around the room watch in silent awe as the man strolls through the outside door whistling a little tune to himself. He is swallowed up by the bright sunlight outside. If they followed him, they'd find him heading to the sea going for his first swim in years. And everyone there was amazed, praised God, and said, We have never seen anything like this before. Then Jesus went out again by the lakeside, and the whole crowd came to him, and he continued to teach them. <laughs> and off in the distance, coming up out of the water, air drying in the hot, hot sun of the midday, is the man who woke that morning doubly broken. Now, he's doubly free. And he knows it.